Well, we are in a series that I've just personally, I've just thoroughly enjoyed this. We're uh, not too many times as a pastor do I get to like fully cover a subject. I mean like like fully covers things things and so this is a series that I'm enjoying that I don't get to the end of it and go wow we just need to kind of go the rest of the year on this um, so that we can cover everything or multiple years but Jesus only said seven things that we have recorded in the gospels he only said seven okay seven sentences and we are going through and we've called this series cross-reference and that's what we're doing we're looking at the seven amazing statements things that Jesus said while he was on the cross and we've had this concept that we've looked at the whole time in fact Easter we didn't talk about one of those we kind of built the framework for it of what this means and we have this concept that the resurrection it changes everything you talk about the ultimate game changer everything changed with the resurrection, everything. We have to filter everything we know of God, we know of ourselves, we know of how we interact with each other through the power and the completion of the resurrection. It changes everything. We've looked at this scripture just as a reminder, just to kind of prod us and break us out of our normal routine because you and I can come back and if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, you can kind of feel comfortable with kind of the story of Jesus on the cross and, and kind of feel like maybe we've got a good idea. And there were those who thought they understood in that moment when the cross happened, they thought they understood and, and they come to find out they didn't. So if they didn't, Maybe we can use some fresh revelation as well. Let's go ahead and look again at Luke chapter 24, verses 5 through 8. This again is the women going to the tomb. They're going to the tomb to find a body, a dead Jesus. That's what they're going for. The verses before said they're taking their spices and their ointments, and they're going to go finish preparing his body. That's what they're going to do. Everything, their mind, everything's wired for this. They're grieving, they're sad, they're, they're torn up inside. And here they go and they get there and the tomb's empty. Not what they were planning on finding. And it freaks them out and then there's a couple of bright shining white guys. They're like glowing white light. Not like big scary Caucasians, like <laughs> white guys. Glowing. Anyways. And so, and here we are. In verse 5, and in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, do not look for the living among the dead. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. That happened. Be crucified. They saw that happen. And on the third day be raised again. It happened. And there they were at an empty grave looking for a body. And verse 8, it says, And then they remembered his words. Then it came. They remembered what Jesus said and how they were able to file that away, how they were able to get that pre-resurrection and twist it around and have it be anything but him coming back to life. I don't know what their thought process was. Other than the fact, it doesn't happen. So maybe they thought he was speaking figuratively. Maybe they just was one more, more, more thing that this teacher that taught on a different level 
we just don't get it, and they just kind of moved on. But here they remember what Jesus had to say. Because see, we so want to default to our normal routine. They had been following Messiah. They have been following Jesus, and he was a revolutionary to them, and then he died. Not what they expected. They didn't expect him to die. He said he was going to die, but they didn't expect him to die. They thought he was going to be a king, set up a new kingdom, get rid of these stinking Romans who were occupying the Holy Land and, and set things right in a physical sense. They were following that, and then this moment comes that rocks their world, and they go back to their old way of doing things. Grab the ointments, grab the spices, let's finish his burial, and let's move back on with our routine. Routine's comfortable. Routine are those things where we try to step into and find process. And we have to bring in the power of the resurrection into our everyday life, our everyday disappointments, our everyday struggles, or we will fall back into the old religious system. Why? Because you and I, as humanity goes, we desperately want something we can manipulate and work and get the intended results. We want that. I tell you what, now I'm not going to make you show your hands, but there's multiple people. I'm not the only one that bought P90X. I'm not the only one. I don't know what happened. I do not have six-pack. I'm not ripped. I want my money back. There's other systems, other things. You get it. You want that. You want the thing. You want the system. You want this thing to be able to do it. And on a religious level, on a religious level, we so desperately want that. In fact, all religion comes back to this thing of us desperately trying to find a way for us to claw our way up to God, for us to do something. We want that thing that we can manipulate. And it's so intrinsic. It's so there. I loved it when my, my little girl about a year and a half ago, my four-year-old was much younger then, and she had a little baby sister, Preslin, who cried and was upset. And I don't know how many of you have been around little, little babies. And so, but if you take them and they're crying, it's a rude, cruel joke. But they're crying, you can go and blow in their face. And it like. <laughs> and for a second, the insanity stops. And then they go, ah! and then it's worse than it's ever before. But you have this little respite. And so it's terrible, don't do that. It, I don't know physically what happened. Some pediatrician could tell me the reflex and all that. I don't know. I just know it happens. And somehow Colin figured this out, and Preslin was crying and annoying her, doing something she didn't want. She did not like the noise. And Colin goes over to his little sister and goes, and Preslin goes, and she's like, this is awesome. I've like got some power here. Something's bothering me. I don't like this. And I just, and it's over. How awesome. Well, it wasn't very much longer after that that Cutie is holding her. And Colin had done something wrong. And Cutie's telling her and letting her know, you can't do this, you can't do that. And um, uh, Preslin does this little thing. Now you get under, and she goes, And uh, that, that don't work, though. And, uh, 
And so, but Colin's sitting there, and Cutie's holding her, and she's telling her all this stuff, and, and Colin's just looking at her and kind of deer in the headlights, and then she goes, <laughs> and Cutie's face. And Cutie's like, did you just blow in my face? It doesn't work every time. Something went wrong here. But she, you so want that thing that something's going wrong, I do this thing, it fixes it. We all want the system, and that from an early age, we try to find it. And folks, this is what is amazing. And, I, and as we get into this cross-reference, we're about to sit here and look at why being a Christ follower is completely different than every other thing we hang the word religion on. If you will sit there and somebody else says, why, what makes this Jesus thing different? If you remember nothing else, remember this moment today, and it'll be easy to remember. And you can tell them, this is why. This is why my faith is in Christ. This is why my faith is in him and not in myself and not in doing a bunch of stuff to be able to do it. This is why. And this is such an amazing, amazing moment because if you are simply here trying to learn a little more about the Bible so you can do all the right works to try to make yourself heaven ready, you've just, you're trying to make Christianity another religion. If that's you, please, please put down that framework. Please let it go. He's not asked you to work harder and dig deeper. We're about to see that Jesus is the one that's done it. We started out and that with it is finished. We look last week at the fact that he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And that implication spills into such a huge place. See, today's cross-reference shows us that the cross and the resurrection truly changes everything. I want you to understand this. This sounds overly simplistic, but if you will get the full weight of it, I tell you what, you'll walk in a newness of life and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and you won't get weighed down with condemnation if you will understand this, that Jesus alone, Jesus alone makes us heaven ready. Jesus alone. Man, all, when we deal with our mortality, man, this week has been, a, this last week, week and a half has been a tough week. We've had a lot of death. A lot of stuff happening in our church family, in our extended church family. We've just had a lot of it. Some sudden stuff, some stuff that, that, that was kind of on the horizon. It's been tough. And every time that happens, you, you come along with, with this thing of the questions about heaven and all these different things. And, and the Word tells us there in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you remember the song by the birds, turn, 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 in every season. That's out of the Bible. Believe it or not, the whole song is out of the Bible. Ecclesiastes 1 through 8. 3, 1 through 8. When verse 11, that song of the birds didn't quite get to this lyric in writing their song. But that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. There's something within us, no matter where you go, this, this awareness that this can't be everything. That somehow that there's something on the other side of my last breath and my last moment on this planet. There's something on the other side of it and it, it comforts us and it creeps us out at the same time. And here we can see this place 
where we can walk in total comfort. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to build a case as we go through here. And let's first start in verse 41. It says, In the same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. That's Jesus. He's on the cross at this moment. They said he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down here from the cross, and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And let's look at verse 44. It says, in the same way the rebels, the, the two criminals who were crucified along with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left, says, in the same way the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Both of them. The crowd is cursing and mocking and taunting Jesus as he is dying for them. And these two guys... They're there dying as well, and they join in. All of a sudden, this bandwagon effect comes along, and they have something they can kind of feel a part of right at this last minute. They're not the outsiders for a second. All of a sudden, their voices, as their jeers and their insults may have even gotten a chuckle or, oh, that's a good one, from these people who were also killing them. And they're sitting there and they're part of the crowd for a second. But at some point, we're about to see something happens. Something amazing happens. And one of these criminals, one of these guys who has a death sentence over his head, breaks ranks from the crowd. He'd been a part of it. He had sneered at Jesus, insulted Jesus. Every four-letter word you could think that a criminal would drop as an insult is being, this guy is hurling at Jesus. Jesus, you blank, blank, I mean, he's just, he is cursing, insulting, mocking Jesus as Jesus is, is dying for him. And then, somewhere along the way, one of these guys breaks ranks. And separates himself from the crowd and, dis- and recognizes Jesus in a fresh light. And we have encounter after encounter after encounter in the Gospels of people who disconnected from the crowd and saw Jesus in a fresh light. There was a lady who had a terrible bleeding issue. A terrible bleeding issue. And she pushed through the crowd. She made her way even though it was illegal. She, she pushed through the crowd to make contact with Jesus because she recognized that he was a healer. We had guys who were sitting there who were lepers who shouted above the crowd. Son of David, have mercy on us. And they they took their voices above the crowd. There was a, a tax collector who was hated. He was rich. He had a nice house. He had nice things, but he was despised. He was an outsider in his own people and seen as a traitor. And he's a short little guy, and he climbs up in a tree and got above the crowd. To get a good look at Jesus. Over and over again we see this thing that instead of going with the crowd. That there are these that say I understand who Jesus is on a certain level. And I'm going to respond the way my heart is telling me to respond. Whether the crowd likes it or not. And this guy on the cross has his moment. And we look at Luke chapter 23. And it says one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. 
Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Come on, God, get us all out of here. But the other criminal, this other criminal that had a change of heart, he rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, listen, you're under the same sentence. We're punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What? What? He's dying. He's beaten. He's he's on the cross. He barely looks like a human. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Everybody else, his own followers and disciples abandoned him because he didn't come as the Messiah, the earthly Messiah, and set up earthly kingship the way they thought it was going to go. And here's a criminal who went from insulting and cussing him in one moment to having more insight and revelation than everybody else that could quote the Bible that was standing at his feet insulting him. He says, there's something, there's something special about you. On the other side of this death, on the other side of mortality, you've got something going. You've got a kingdom. And I want you to remember. Remember me when you come in there. Oh, my gosh. He's dying. He's executed for what he says with his own mouth he deserves had scoffed and cussed at Jesus and has a change of heart and says, remember me. And Jesus doesn't do what you and I would have done. Oh, now? What was all the uh, bleep words a second ago, buddy? Or we bring in all of our works mentality? Um, buddy, uh, you're, you're dying. You really can't do anything for me. You've lived a cruddy life. You've been completely selfish. You're dying. You just cussed me. And now, now you want it? That's what most of us would do. But Jesus says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me. In paradise. This guy was heaven ready based on nothing else. If there's any guy who squandered his whole life, who actually ridiculed and cussed Jesus, mocked him, and then had an understanding of who he was and what he's done, if this guy is celebrating in heaven, which he is right now, then that salvation extends to all of us. And all of the stuff of doing good and working right and all that kind of stuff to please God so you can get into heaven, it's it's not there. It's not there. This guy did nothing, nothing other than understand who Jesus was and that's it. And believed, believed that Jesus did it. So 
that begs the question, why did this guy change his mind? Jesus didn't perform a miracle there. He wasn't hanging on the cross and, and make bread sprout out. or did, He asked for a drink of water, which we're going to talk about. He didn't even turn something magically to do his own thirst. What changed it? Let's back up a couple of verses. We looked at this last week. This thing had this interaction happened in Luke 23, 39 through 43. What we just read. Let's back up to 32 from the 39 we started at a second ago. And let's go back to 32. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. This is in that moment where they're, they're both hurling insults. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. This guy we know from Matthew's account, has been cussing and hurling at Jesus. And you know what he hears Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He heard Jesus intercede for him as he hurled insults at Jesus. That was the most miraculous thing that man ever witnessed in his life. That was the most love, the most grace, everything. And all of a sudden, it's that interaction that changes this man's perspective. He's not just another imitator. He's not just another guy trying to get famous. He's not just some other thing. This guy just prayed for me. I cussed him. I mocked him. And he just asked Father God to forgive me because I'm clueless. And he recognized he was clueless. And says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I love his phrase, remember me. He dared to believe that there was something personal, some sort of relational thing that could be connected there. See, the cross and the resurrection are about you and I being with Jesus. It's about relationship. You hear it all the time. And it can kind of just become another cute Christian saying, Christianity isn't about religion. It's about relationship. But it is about relationship. That's what this is about. That's why Jesus made it to where it wasn't about us jumping all the hurdles and doing all this stuff and this cursing criminal who mocked him was, I believe, the first guy to cross heaven's threshold. I believe he was the first one. Not all the saints, not all the people who we think, I think the first guy to walk heaven's threshold with Jesus was this guy that we would all say deserves it the absolute least. <sighs> See, religion, it's about rules and regulations and rituals, but Jesus really is about relationship. Religion is about what you must do, but Christianity is about what Jesus has already done. See, he's talked about this concept the whole time. John chapter 14. We're going to quickly cruise through these. It says, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. Put a pin in that. We kind of throw this thing around about this, everybody kind of having their own mansion, you know? Um... I'm not sure where that comes from, 
Um, there's one really big, awesome one. And how much cooler is it that instead of God preparing some place down the block for you to live in, that he's put a room in his own house for you? He don't want you down the block. He just doesn't want you in the zip code. He wants you in his house to have breakfast with him and dinner with him and chill with him. There's your good favorite God-loving show on Netflix in heaven. You're on the, you're on the big section over him in his house. He's got the remote. It's all right. <laughs> we can trust him. He, in, his, in his house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Except by me. The whole point was for us to be with that where I am, you may also be. His whole earthly work was so that where he is, you may also be. To be with him. It is about relationship. Matthew 27 says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. And the tombs broke open and bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. What an incredible spectacle. Amazing moment that is. But I love it that this shield, this veil, this curtain... That not even the most holy person under the old covenant, dot every I, cross every T system, could, they could only cross that because they weren't holy enough, but once a year. And then they had to have a rope around their ankle and some bells so they could be heard. And if they died, if the bells stopped, they'd yank them out from under the curtain. Scary deal. And that veil that temple because of what jesus did was ripped from top to bottom there's no more separation there's no more us we have direct access all of us not the best not only the ones who go through all the hoops all of us have access to the father in fact revelation 21 says and i heard a voice from the throne saying look god's dwelling place is now among the people he will dwell with them they will be his people and, he will, he, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Didn't he start it this way? We backtrack to the Garden of Eden. He creates a place, a perfect place for humanity. Creates us there and interacts with us in person. There. That's the way he's always wanted it. Jesus sets it right so that we can be with him. In 2 Corinthians 5-7 says, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident that we would rather be away from these earthly bodies. For then it will be, we will be at home with the Lord. Oh, we can have confidence. We can have confidence, folks, because Jesus has done it. He's done it. This isn't about another religious system. 
We're here to celebrate what he's done and allow his spirit to shape our lives so that we can reflect two concepts and two concepts only. Love God and love others. That's it. Not because we're trying to make God happy with us. He's fixed it himself. But so that we can live and interact with each other the way we were designed to. So we quit hurting each other and bringing pain and suffering on each other. We were designed to live in community and to gain love and grow with each other. His Holy Spirit is weeding the pain and the torture and the stuff that we do to each other out of us. Why? So that we can enjoy the kind of fellowship we're supposed to. Folks, that's what this is about. Anybody ever asks you, anybody ever ask you, why is Jesus different? Say, the thief on the cross is why I believe in Jesus. The thief on the cross is why I trust him with my, because he says to that guy, today you'll be with me in paradise. I believe that he completed, he took care of it all. He was in, God was in Christ reconciling the world. And I live not by trying to please God, but because he loves me. And that's it. And that is it. Folks, the bottom line is that Jesus did it all so that we can be with him. The resurrection, people, it changes it all. It changes it all. It rips all the normal religious stuff out and lets the relationship flourish. And this morning, maybe you're here for the first time and maybe, maybe you've heard all the pieces and it's just now really connecting. Maybe you saw Jesus as a little reset button and you had a chance to try harder. Jesus isn't a chance to try harder. Jesus finished the work. It's coming up and having some place of repentance. You know what repentance is? The thief showed us how to do it. Change the way you think. That's what repentance means. He went from cursing Jesus to believing in him. That's what repentance means. Changing the way you think. So this morning, maybe you've had a change to the way you think. Then what we want to do is create a quiet moment. We want to create a place where if that's you and you say, Brandon, I get it. I believe that Jesus died for me, that I'm heaven ready, not because of what I've done or planned to do, but because of what Jesus did. And I want his life to grow in me. If that's you this morning, I want you to just lift your hand up. We're going to celebrate that. Awesome, 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 yes, yes, awesome. If there are teen, hands in T9, praise God. Awesome, yes. I want to lend you some words. See, your faith, your faith has made you right with God. You're right with God right now. But I want the honor of praying, praying this prayer with you. Now, I'm going to loan you some words. There's nothing special about them. You just own them. You make them your own. Believers, lift your voice with these. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for what he did for me. That he paid the price. All of my sin is dealt with. And I am right with you 100% because of what Jesus did. Today, I am your child. You're my father. And I ask you to change me. 
from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Woo! Yes, yes. I ask you to stand up. I want to pray over you as we go out of here. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this. Lord, we try to, we try to take things into our own strength over and over again. Lord, I don't know why we want to do something that you've already finished. But so many times we do. We want to work our way to you. Lord, but you, Lord, you sacrificed, you gave so that we could be with you. Lord, we believe it. And we thank you, Lord, that our lives are shaped by that. Lord, we go out of here in fresh remembrance, Lord, that, that we are, that heaven is our home. And that while we're still here, you're shaping us and helping us to truly love each other. Lord, we go out of here in your strength today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.